Episode 14, here we come. Today on the Movement of Color podcast, we'll talk about the song Deportees by Woody Guthrie and discuss its current relevance. And also, we are following the current conditions on the ground in Africa. My name is Brandon Payton Carrillo. That's it. Let's get started. Well, it should go wonderful after we're talking about a song today, and we're talking about Deportees, the song written by Woody Guthrie, but performed by everybody else. Yeah, it is. There is literally no recording of the song uh, done by Woody Guthrie. It's all Arlo Guthrie or Pete Seeger or Billy Bragg or a million other people who just kind of are making the uh, song more popular. Exactly. But it's a it's a wonderful song. I feel like it's timeless and its themes reoccur over and over again. Um pretty badass tune. Um Oh yeah. Would you care Evergreen. to Would you care to give a little background about this song? Alright, all right. Uh well um the song was written um in like I want to say the early 18, uh, 1948 by Woody Guthrie. He read, um, apparently the story goes, he read, um, of, uh, of all things, a New York Times article on a recent, uh, at time, recent plane crash in Southern California. Um, I think it was Los Gatos Canyon um, about a, uh, an airplane uh, full of Mexican um Bracero workers being uh, sent back to Mexico after the contract was up. Um, and that got, you know, there was a fire on the plane and it crashed in the canyon. Um, and the New York Times uh, article, in a very New York Times fashion, uh, something that's very New York Times, uh, only gave the names of the Americans on the plane. So the pilots um, and the security guards. And then all the all the Mexicans were just called were all labeled in a group called deportees, and they didn't they didn't give a single name. And so that's that's kind of where he got the idea. Like he like he was so disgusted by by just like the fact that like they were dehumanizing all the like these people who were fucking killed, um, and if anything were the majority of the people on the plane um, that he decided to write a song about uh, de- about deportees and. Just how um, immigrant workers are treated in the U.S. Exactly. And one of the cool things I think he did and really made a point of doing is he made these deportees uh, anonymous no more. He gave them fictional names. You know. Oh, yeah. They could have had whatever names their names were. We won't ever know because the New York Times didn't fucking print it. But... So he came up, you know, goodbye to Juan and Rosalita, and trying to give them names to the name, give names to the nameless. And I thought that was really kind of cool, and that's what 
is a little bit of a tearjerker for me sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's been shown. Like, once you give something a name, like, you become more attached to it. Because you consider it not a thing, but a person. Exactly. And um, I think various artists ran with this song. Um, the music was written by a guy named Matt Hoffman. And then Pete Seeger ran with it. And then a bunch of other people started covering it because... Anything Pete Seeger does is pretty dope, so why don't I do this song as well? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a very, yeah, like, again, like, if you go on YouTube, you'll find, like, a million different renditions by, like, a million different people. I mean, it is very popular. And I remember, I forgot the name of this book, but I think it's like, Shout Out and Sing. It's like a traditional kind of folk book that hippies and folk singers of like the 50s and 60s would get together and play these songs and sing these songs. Um, I had I was fortunate when I was in Atlanta, there was a lot of the, the older members, they would get together on Fridays once a month and they would sing folk songs. And it didn't matter if you sucked. It didn't matter if you were like a great guitarist or you were awful. We all just read from these books and sang. And Deep Ortiz is where I got exposed to this song otherwise i don't think i ever would have found it all right uh do you want to go into like the actual lyrics themselves sure let's dive into that all right so so the song starts off um the crops are all in and the peaches are rotting the oranges piled in their creosote dumps um so like okay so that like first little thing um is actually a reference to a very common practice especially in the during the great depression um where like uh like growers would, um, in order to artificially keep uh, prices high um, while still maintaining production, because they're, they're you know their plants, it's not like you can just like turn them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would like burn. Uh, they would like just let food like rot in piles, or like or even worse, they would at because like people would then like try to steal the food. Um, you know, in all in all righteousness, um, they would then poison the food. Um, in order to like again, all in order to keep prices artificially high. Hmm. So this is kind of like a, a, a already initial like he's he's just condemning the entire agricultural industry, like intentionally letting people starve because it's not, it doesn't make him any money. Um, and then and then it moves on. They're flying them back to the border to the Mexican border to pay all their money to weigh back again. Um, so for anyone who might not know, there's this thing called a coyote. Um, he's basically uh, it's basically someone you pay. Um, a fuck ton of money to smuggle you over the border. These are people who, um, you know, supposedly know what the fuck they're doing because they've done it multiple times. Um, of course, nowadays they usually kick the cartels, um, stuff like that. Um, not all of them, but a, 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 a tiny majority, uh, the, a tiny minority are. Um, but it's, it's again becoming increasingly dangerous. Uh, people forget that um, the U.S.-Mexico border is one of the deadliest borders in like the world. Mm. <laughs> so. Like if, if if you're crossing it, you're basically taking a pretty big gamble on your life, um, and then it moves on to the, the the chorus of the song. Goodbye to my Juan. Goodbye Rosalita. Adios mi amigos Jesus y Maria. Um, you won't have your names when you ride the big airplane. All they will call you will be deportees. Um, so again, like he's by giving them names, even if they're not accurate names, they are. He's still naming them. He's still giving them. 
back that small tim- uh, a little bit of humanity that you know the New York Times couldn't be fucking bothered to give. Um, and again, like, the, and all they will call you will be deportees. That that is very clearly referencing uh, the New York Times, one of the largest um, newspapers in the country, especially in 1948, where the newspaper industry was like still a thing um, before uh, the internet ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like all they call them were deportees. Like that's like the most fucking shittiest thing you'd ever do to a bunch of people who just died, like through no fault of their own. Like I, I like it, like it'd be like. Like, the only way New York Times could be worse if they fucking started calling them wetbacks or some shit. <laughs> like, oh, the man. only way it could be yeah. worse. It's the only way it could be worse. Um, and then it continues on. My father's own father, he waded that river. They took all the money he made in his life. My brothers and sisters come working the fruit trees, and they rode the truck till they took down and died. Um, so it's kind of it's, it's very much showing the fact this is a, a generational issue. It's not just, like, one generation. I mean... The southwestern United States um, has, like, been using uh, Mexican and, and Latin American uh, labor since, like, the U.S. annexed northern Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's been that case, and it continues to be that case. Uh, you know, like, there's whole family there's, there's whole family trees that have gone back and forth on the bo- uh, back and forth um, through the north uh, through the border um, to look for jobs, and you know, and, and like the last slide says, like. A, a few of them don't come back. They, they die. Um, there's a mortality rate involved. Um, then it continues on. Some of us are illegal and some are not wanted. Our work contract's out and we have to move on. 600 miles to that Mexican border, they chase us like outlaws, like rustlers, like thieves. Um, so that's specifically – so the first line uh, – so, so the second line is specifically referencing the Bracero program. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bracero program was uh, this kind of uh, – this like – a labor exchange program with the with Mexico, where they would essentially give you a temporary work contract, like a temporary work visa, um, if you were a, a Mexican male um, who wanted to work because of a giant manpower um, kind of deficit caused by like a bunch of people going into war industries um, and being drafted into the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like, but these again, these are these work visas essentially had timers on. Them. So the moment your contract up. Uh, you have to report to the immigration, the U.S. Immigration Services, um, and then be deported, and then be basically deported back to Mexico, and like try again. Um, but a, a good number of people like said, like, no, fuck that, like I have a life here now, um, and they try to stay, and they would again. This is kind of like uh, where um, the origins of ICE is, where they start hunting people down. Um, and then it moves on. We died in your hills. We died in your deserts. We died in your valleys and died on your plains. We died neath your trees and we died in your bushes. Both sides of the rivers, we died just the same. Um, again, referencing the very arduous uh, journey uh, from Mexico to the U.S. And then once you're there, like um, people don't know this, but like uh, compared to where immigrants are now, um, things were a lot worse. They, uh, there wasn't as many um, support network, like immigrant support networks. Um, there wasn't sanctuary cities were not a thing. Hmm. Um, if you got, there was a lot of like racism was a lot more rampant back then. Um, uh, segregation was very much an issue. Um, there's even times where, especially during the great depression, um, and during those early, early war years, um, when the economy still hadn't fully recovered, um, there were like outright encampments of people living in the fucking wilderness, um, because they had nowhere else to go. Um, and that tradition kind of look, uh, goes on a little bit because, again, like, there are people who, who get paid absolute shit. 
um, so much so that they they probably can't even afford um, housing. Yeah. Um, and then they die. Um, and again, like they, whether they die in Mexico or die here, they're dying like regardless of the fact. Um, it continues on. Uh, the sky plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon, a fireball of lightning, and shook all our hills. Who are all these friends, all scattered like dry leaves? The radio says they are just deportees. Um, and now this is really where um, Woody Guthrie kind of just puts all his cards on the table and just kind of directly references Los Gato, uh, Los Gato uh, Canyon wreck. Um, and the fact that, like, uh, again, like the radio, um, all the mainstream media, um, they do not care. They just – they only care about the American lies and everyone else is, you know, in the background. Um, and then, if, and then if, uh, it finishes – is this the best way we can grow our big orchards? Is this the best way we can grow our good fruit? To fall like dry leaves, to rot on my topsoil, topsoil, and be called by no name except deportees. Where he fundamentally questions the very uh, agricultural industry that people are working in, and just how, like, whether or not, like, 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 are we really? Like, is this really the best way? Are we like? Is this can be? Can this be considered humane? Can this be considered? Uh, like a good thing is this is, is this really the best we can fucking do as a society? Uh, and it really kind of pushes the listener to to want change, to demand change. The fact uh, that you know we can do better, and then anything we have to do better because people are dying, and these people are dying with no real notice because no one cares enough to notice, and we, we kind of have to. And that's how the song ends. Yeah, it ends on a really powerful note. It's hard for me to imagine someone not having sympathy after listening to that song, not only because of the lyric, but it's a really strong and bitchin' melody, for lack of a better word. It makes you question, I think, not only the agricultural industry, but capitalism as a whole. Yeah, how it just eats up like entire groups of people and then just spits them out. Exactly. It's like America is a Ponzi scheme and where you are in that pyramid, if you're at the bottom, your death is anonymous. And it questions us to do better. Thank you, Byron. This is going to be really fun. After we get done here, I think we'll have a version of this song for people to listen to. Awesome. It, it is a good song. The crops are all in. The peaches are rotting. The oranges are piled in their creosote They're flying you back to the Mexico border. Pay all your money to wait back again My father's own father, he waited that river They took all the money he made in his life My brothers and sisters come working the fruit trees And they rode the trucks till they took down and died Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita, adios 
mi amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. And all they will call you will be deportees. Now some of us are illegal and others not wanted. Our work contracts out and we have to move on. Six hundred miles to the Mexico border. They chase us like outlaws, like wrestlers and thieves. We died in your hills and we have died on your deserts. We've died in your valleys, we've died on your plains. We've died in your trees and we've died in your bushes. Both sides of the river, we've died just the same. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mi amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. And all they will call you will be deportees. The sky plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon. Like a fireball of lightning, it shook all our hills. And who are these friends, all scattered like dried leaves? The radio says they are just deportees. Is this the best way we can grow our big orchards? This is the best way we can grow our good fruit To fall like dry leaves and rot on your topsoil And be known by no name except deportees Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita Adios mi amigos, Jesus y Maria You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane And all that will call you will be deportees Alright gang, so back in March Byron Lopez and I had a discussion about northern Syria and Rojava, and particularly the segment of Rojava called Afrin. So there was a lot of turmoil going on, Turkey rushing in, and here's that conversation that we had. So enjoy. So... Currently in the news, there's a lot about Turkey and the African region of Syria. What is that all about? Um, so, for listeners, uh, Afrin is a region in north northwestern Syria, uh, quite literally the, the most northwestern segment of uh, Syria. It's right in the border of Turkey. Um, Turkey is to the west and the north uh, of it. Um, and this region, uh, after the outbreak of the Syrian civil war, uh, was nominally taken over and administrated by the YPG, uh, the YPG, 
militia and their political party, uh, the uh, PYD. Now, these are uh, an offshoot of the PKK um, in Syria uh, from Turkey, who are a used to be a Marxist-Leninist Kurdish group. Um, but after their founder, um, Aslan, uh, kind of uh, was in a prison off the coast of Istanbul, um, he didn't really have much to do. So he read uh, Murray Bookchin and then created a, a new ideology called democratic confederalism, which is a lot more libertarian, a lot more ecological, a lot more feminist, and kind of spread that ideology to the PKK and consequently from the PKK to the uh, YPG. Now, they've been in control of this territory for a few years now, ever since the start of the war, really, and the, and the Syrian army kind of fell back and kind of retreated to the coastal areas. Um, and they've been kind of just dealing with their own stuff. Uh, they've been administrating. They've been uh, helping out, push out ISIS uh, back when ISIS was you know, very much still a thing. Um, but recently, uh, the Turkish government uh, now controlled – now basically controlled uh, totally by uh, Recep uh, Erdogan, um, who is, to my best description, what people think Trump is here is what Erdogan actually is, an incredible authoritarian who's actually very adept at uh, seizing the states and purging everyone he doesn't like. Um, you know, there's political prisoners. Political prisoners is, is very much a common thing in Turkey now. Um, and he's very anti-Kurdish. Um, he's very much a, a – for Turkish standards, very much a hardcore far-right Islamist. Um, he doesn't – you know, if there are speeches of him saying that uh, the Kurds are not a separate ethnicity. They are uh, Turks who went into the eastern mountains and uh, got lost and formed their own – and like created a, a separate dialect of Turkish. <laughs> uh, so like he even denies the – the long-standing history of uh, Kurds existing in the area, um, or even existing at all, hmm. and this, uh, and he's very much to use um, Afrin as kind of a um, very much a Danzig situation where this is you know our political enemies are right outside their border. Um, these are terrorists uh, who are planning to come and murder your wives and children, um, and has in his infinite wisdom decided to uh, basically get a bunch of ISIS and Al Nusra rejects. Uh, people who you know fled uh, during the fighting or were you know forced into pockets and had to flee back to Turkey. Um, he got a bunch of them, uh, gave them uniforms, gave them weapons, gave them support, um, called them the Free Syrian Army instead of Al Nusra and ISIS, and uh, sent them towards uh, Afrin specifically to conquer the area, bring it on, bring it under Free Syrian Army slash uh, Turkish Army control and occupation. And to systematically uh, destroy any hopes of socialism and liberation and pan-ethnic liberation, you know, LGBT liberation uh, from the area. And he has very much successfully done so uh, as far as today. Okay, Byron. So before we get into the actual war and what's at stake, tell me more about this Kurdish society that the YPG and the PKK created in northern Syria? So in northern Syria, which includes more than just Afrin, Afrin is actually the, the small enclave to the west of the major portion, um, they've created, you know, 
something that you know people haven't seen since uh, revolutionary Catalonia during the Spanish Civil War or uh, the early stages of the Russian Revolution with the worker council with the Soviets, um, where you know the society is organized on a local uh, grassroots level, where all levels of society above uh, your local neighborhood or your local village. Um, are delegated and receive power from the bottom, not the top. Um, you know, women are, you know, guaranteed 50%. And even even separate sister organizations that have vetoes on the general bodies. Um, you know, LGBT uh, issues are basically uh, are very much a pro LGBT issue uh, oriented, where you know, compared to. You know, there are neighbors who are maybe not so friendly towards gays and lesbians and trans people. Um, you know, uh, the different ethnicities that incorporate this con- this enclave, like Syrians, uh, people from the Caucasus, um, Turkis- uh, Turkistan- Turkistanis, um, people from, you know, uh, you know, just normal Arabs who just happen to be there. Um, they are all guaranteed rights. Um, and equality under the system and again are granted separate organizations to ensure that their rights are never infringed uh, they are actively reached out to to participate in everyday society um, while there is uh, some vestiges of private property and business they're all very what private business there are are incredibly small like mom and pop stores and are ultimately managed um, and supervised over by the community by a you know, the community council um, and, and all other means of production are collectivized um, and brought under the control uh, and brought under the control and management of the, the local commune. You know, this is, you know, real existing socialism in our times. And I personally am very excited, uh, but also very saddened by the fact that, you know, they are, you know, getting crushed in Afrin right now, um, that they, Yet the U.S. Uh, the, the U.S. has kind of supported them at the initial start to fight ISIS, but then left them to die um, right now. Why should socialists or leftists in the United States? Why should they care? Well, this is you know, um, you know, I hate to use this word, but uh, tankies, uh, people who kind of like you know uh, stand for the USSR and you know China and all that. Uh, well, like they talk a lot about you know actually existing socialism. Um, but they have, like, we have it here, like, we have it for real. Like, this is something everyone can agree on, from Marxist-Leninists uh, to, you know, people like anarchists to even more moderate socialists can agree that, you know, Rojava, um, which means West in Kurdish, uh, which is this uh, this segment uh, in northern Syria, it's actually there. Uh, the means production are under the control of the people themselves. Um, you know, all power is delegated from the bottom up. There's actual real democracy. There's women's rights. There's uh, LGBT rights. There's, uh, you know, rights for minority. Um, you know, the the state is almost non-existent. Um, they elect their officers if they uh, for the for the YPG militia. Um, they go out of their way to, you know, free uh, not just Kurds but uh, Arabs, uh, Arab villages, people from the Caucasus. Um, you know, all these minorities who are under the oppression of ISIS, uh, they have put their lives on the line for people they don't even know, but who they still consider comrades. Um, and I feel like we definitely should do the same. There's already Western and, you know, 
uh, foreign volunteers, people from China, people from uh, you know Europe, people from uh, North America. Uh, there's even you know there's a lot of Turks. Really enough, uh, not everyone in Turkey um, agrees with Erdogan, and a lot of the uh, Turkish um, Marxist-Leninist groups and anarchists have crossed the border to help the Kurds. Uh, this is very much the the modern day Catalonia, the modern day revolutionary Spain. So we should be supporting them. We should be you know making protests to make sure that uh, they are give they are protected and not you know, tramped on by foreign states, that they have the, you know, that they have the support um, to continue fighting ISIS because ISIS, while they're still minor, they're still around. Um, things like, you know, get them uh, aid because, you know what, like they are isolated. They don't have access to the ocean. They can't do trade. Um, they're surrounded by, you know, Turkey in the north who will want them dead. Uh, you know, Iraq, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan even doesn't even want to talk to them because Iraqi Kurdistan is more liberal conservative than actually Radical socialist. Uh, Syri- the Syrian government is very much a, a neutral body to them, but doesn't actively want to help them. They, this is something we definitely need to support them for. So on a scale of one to five, five being the utmost miraculous support and one being not much support at all. How supportive has the American left been towards the Rojavan cause? The American left yeah. has been very much a uh, a hard three, I would say. I, I would even say like a two point five. Like there's been talk, you know, there's been a few demonstrations by the more anarchist leading groups, um, like uh, you know, revolutionary abolitionist movement, um, and you know, a few uh, DSA chap, a few few DSA locals. Uh, but for the most part, they, you know, people have been very quiet on this. You know, there's, you know, the European left has. Like quite literally, been burning down Turkish embassies in the past few weeks. Um, you know, they've been you know burning that, da- uh, burning uh, Turkish ambassadors' cars. Um, they've been doing attacks on consulates. And while I'm not saying uh, they should definitely be, you know, the American left should be doing that. Um, just the the fact that they are willing to put you know very serious time in jail, um, you know, to support. Um, to support Rojava and the YPG and you know the and their allies in northern Syria, you know it kind of makes the the American left look like they don't even care. Yeah, I get that sense as well. There's a lot of things and there's a lot of ignorance about this current crisis. Why do you think that's the case? I would say it's very much well. Part of it within the left itself um, is an issue of kind of very reaction, reactionary, not in the sense of going backwards, but in the sense of something happens, we need to react now. Um, reactionary anti-imperialism, where that's kind of seen amongst uh, third-worldist, um, kind of more Marxist-Leninist-y uh, uh, strings of socialism, where, and of course not all of them, but a, a few of them, um, have said that uh, we should instead be supporting uh, the, uh, Bashar the Lion, Assad, and the Syrian army and not the Kurds, uh, that the Kurds are puppets of the U.S. Um, and that Turkey is right to invade, um, you know, that like this kind of very much uh, supporting a right wing authoritarian regime that helped spur this, that, you know, helped create ISIS by like letting all the jihadis go uh, from their prisons when the revolution started, um, that we should support them instead of, you know, the people actively pr- practicing uh, decentralized socialism. Um, but also, but but more in general is that like the U.S. left in general is is very not 
especially the modern U.S. left, has never really had a good track record when it comes to international solidarity. We've very much been busy with local affairs and the fact that we're kind of very separated. Um, you know, like European leftists, it's right next to their doorstep. Um, you know, for Turkish leftists, they literally just have to, you know, a few hours and you're in Syria. Um, it's a lot easier for them, but also, like, it's a lot more prescient. And while for us, um, I can see why, you know, maybe we want to focus more on local stuff, maybe more focused on, like, you know, Western Hemisphere stuff. But, you know, you can't just let this go. Like, this is very much like, uh, again, the, 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 the revolutionary Spain of our time. And one thing, I guess, to build upon um, the American left really concentrating on the Western Hemisphere or just within the United States border. I'm going to offer a slight critique of DSA on this, is that everybody now since Bernie has emerged on the scene, everybody has been all about electoral politics, which I don't have anything against, but I feel like it's an unbalanced fetishization of chasing the ballot as opposed to maybe supporting and protecting the institutions that already exist and building new institutions of socialism. Your thoughts? No, I, I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. This is something that DSA, you know, and I as a member of DSA, have, we, we really dropped the ball on this. Um, you know, of course, they, we, we are actively trying to get things better. Um, you know, I know uh, DSA LSC has put out a... We put out a statement, a Libertarian Socialist Caucus. Um, we put out a statement in support of, uh, you know, Northern Rojava, uh, of Northern Syria slash Rojava, um, and their fight against Turkey um, and ISIS. Uh, we, you know, there have been lots of uh, protests um, that, you know, DSA members have been a part of, but not, sadly not entire chapters. Um, and we currently uh, have just put out a new anti-war commission, which whose whole job is to analyze foreign policy and to bring foreign policy to the fore of DSA. Um, so you know, look out for that. But but again, like uh, I don't know if it's going to get better or it's going to get worse. But you know, there's a lot of us in DSA who are actively trying to make it better, to actively try to put uh, international solidarity um, at the forefront of our work, uh, not just you know blindly following electoralism, but you know doing uh, you know, helping diaspora communities in our, you know, in, in our cities. Well, obviously, this is an ongoing development, and um, we'll keep people informed as new and interesting things happen. Thank you, Byron, for your time. Thank you. All right, gang. We've come to the end of another episode. Thank you. So you guys can always follow us on Twitter at movement underscore color. And coming soon, all Patreon supporters will have access to our ongoing anarchism series. You can become a supporter at patreon.com backslash movement of color. My name is Brandon Peyton Carrillo. Until next time, adios. Color.